0: Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, January 8, 2023, from Epiphany Sunday, given by Pastor Chris Simmons. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Matthew chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Well, God's grace, mercy, and peace are yours through his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we begin, I'm going to teach you a very valuable life skill. In case you ever enter a Where's Waldo competition, I will teach you how to do and perform well in a Where's Waldo book. So as we start here today, let me open up for you, hopefully it'll one... Uh, I'm going to go with this one right over here, the castle. castle, chaos at the castle, 800 years ago. So the biggest mistake you can have or do when doing a Where's Waldo book is this. Put your face too close to the book and get absolutely lost in the details. And it's funny, when you put your face close to the book, you notice all the little things that are going on in here, and it's on purpose. They're trying to distract you. As you see over here, I can see a drawbridge and a man climbing up a chain. That's good. I could, Oh, there's a man dumping oil on him. That's really neat. And there's, there's this is the PG-13 one because there's a shirtless guy in here as he's choking two guys that are trying to invade the castle. So I get lost in the details the closer I am, and I see every single little bit of it. But you know what? I have a lot of trouble finding Waldo like this. And you probably have a lot of trouble seeing me too. But as I want to find Waldo, what you actually have to do is extend it out a little bit, get a little bit of distance, and get... The whole picture, the big picture. And I'm cheating because I did this one at 8.30, but I'm going to tell you this. At 8.30, I found Waldo right away, and I was like, this is a divine moment, everybody. <laughs> that My example, this is a metaphor for life, by the way. You'll catch on in a second, but I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like, I did this, and I'm like, oh, there's Waldo. Ah. I should have. I, don't put your Lord to the test. So that's why I didn't get a new one out. But you can find Waldo pretty easily when you zoom out and you take the whole picture in. The big picture, in all its context, you go, oh, he definitely looks very different than everything else going on in this book. So next time you're in a Where's Waldo competition, there you go. The big key here is don't get lost in the details, in all the little things that are going on. Instead, you need to be part of the big picture, because when you become too focused on the little things, we tend to miss the one thing we were looking for in the first place. All right, now you know it's a metaphor for life, right? So as we start today, and keep that in mind, that ability to, that we focus too much on details, and when we get too much in the details, we be, our vision becomes clouded. We forget, in fact, that there's a bigger picture in store for us, and oftentimes it's in the big picture is when you get a clearer idea of what you were looking for in the first place. So as we begin in Matthew chapter 2, right, I'll give you the, the tail of the tape in boxing terms, right, kind of the statistics, because this whole section is really a dichotomy between Herod Herod, and the Magi, right? The wise men and Herod. And kind of what the differences in, in particular are between the two. And first off, you have Herod. So in the time that Herod was reigning, I'll kind of read you a few stats here. They were called the Days of Herod. And he was named King of Judea by the Roman Senate in 40, 40 BC. And he named himself, that's always a good sign, right? Named himself Herod the Great. To distinguish himself from every son he might have that could rule after him. Because just imagine for a moment, right, if you're Herod the Great, everybody else can only be good. What are they going to be, greater? No. Gooder? No. So everyone after him can't be quite as great as you are. So he set his sons up kind of for failure already. You can kind of see where his focus is. Um, He was a ruthless ruler whose paranoia caused him to kill family members and close associates, even two sons. So you see he's quite focused on people overthrowing his rule and his power and his throne. If you look at this next image over here, 37 B.C. uh, to 4 B.C., he built this called Herod's Palace. And right at 37 B.C., he got a bunch of Roman, uh, I almost said cronies, but I mean like Roman army officials, right? Soldiers. And they kicked out everybody and pretty much killed anyone who opposed his rule. And then he built Herod's Palace, right? This was his house. It took him a little bit longer. Jonathan, then you building your house, right? So this was like uh, 30, 35 years to build this house. But he had two pools and three towers, right? And a huge area to worship. And for this time, this is a way extravagant house. And it's funny, ironically, at the time when he died in 1 B.C., the house was finished in 4 B.C. He lived in it for three years. Right, And after he died in 1 B.C., it was then possessed by the government and Roman officials would come in during, like, uh, in Jerusalem in times of festivals and such to help keep the peace. Roman governors and officials would stay in that house. The irony being, uh, they suspect that Pontius Pilate stayed in this house, Herod's house, during Jesus' trial, during over the Passover. So how, again, I don't have like all the stats for you on this. I just read this one time and thought it was cool. Probably shouldn't say it, but I'll say it anyway. Don't, don't tell them, Siri. Over here... The ironic point could be that even though in Matthew chapter 3, Herod seeks to kill Jesus, right? He sees him as a threat and then kills all of the the infant boys in Bethlehem under the age of two, right? It's very tragic, very sad. But as much as he tried to stop Jesus, Jesus ended up coming to his house much longer after his death to be there for a trial that eventually led to his crucifixion, which led to the freedom from all of mankind from sin and his resurrection so we could be with him again. So again... I couldn't find you all the stats on it, but it would be a very neat point of irony. Herod also added this. If you go to the next stat, this is a massive expansion that he added to the temple. You read like Ezra and Nehemiah, um, some of those minor prophets near the end. You could see the rebuilding, the second, second temple era, they say. After the first temple like that Solomon built was destroyed, they came back and rebuilt this temple, much more modest than Solomon's temple. But Herod said, pshh. Not on my watch. And he took and he added huge expansion to it, added all the gold. Um, it doesn't stand like this anymore right now, but this is what we read. And Herod put so much effort into this, pa- this uh, temple. It was no longer called the temple. It was called Herod's temple. Right? I know. Mm, you're already getting a sense of who this guy is. Um, as he continues, he had decisions that managed famine at the time, but he was never well liked because he loved power, inflicted heavy taxes on the people, and resented that many Jews considered him to be a usurper. And as Jonathan already mentioned, he was called the king of the Jews. Right? And so that's not a title that we don't usually not give to Jesus, but here he was the literal king of the Jews who had the Messiah in his backyard, yet didn't seem to notice even a giant, you know, star hanging above the city because he was so focused on himself. He was too lost in the details of what he wanted to do that he was missing the bigger picture, and then you have the next group of people being the Magi, right? Coming out from the east, there are kind of these major representation of the, the best wisdom Gentile wisdom had to offer at the time. So the Magi didn't worship the God of Israel. They read the Bible for like knowledge and and prophecy and wisdom things like that. And in fact, you know, we call them We Three Kings. What we actually read is these Magi were servants of kings that opposed and even oppressed the people of Israel. Yet, even there, they didn't fully realize when they went through all this wisdom and insight and they saw this star, this major astrological occurrence that we'll unpack later. They have this, they're being called by it to follow. So they follow this star even to the point where they get to the capital. But they think, they ask Herod, hey, where's the king of the Jews? Because we're here in the capital. This is where the king would be, right? And he goes, "Uh, well, let me check my scribes in the back and we'll get back to you on that. And that's what ends up the star and God end up leading them to the manger and to Jerusalem, sorry, to Bethlehem and to Jesus. And to the point where they bring gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? Typical gifts that you would give to a king. So even though it's very limited in their understanding, and even you could say limited in their understanding of faith and who God was, they still come to the manger for this reason. They weren't lost in the details of their study and what they were looking for. Instead, they took a cue from the details to realize that there is indeed a bigger picture out there. And you see that steep contrast between the two. The one who's supposed to be closest to the prophecy, the one who's supposed to be the one that tells you it, it happened yesterday because we're that in depth in study, Herod's half Jewish, right? So he's there, king of the Jews, and doesn't realize that his Messiah is there and only actually sees his Messiah as a threat to his own rule. And these guys from out east that are like, we don't know what's going on, but we followed a star here. There's supposed to be a king. So we've read, show us where he is. Because there's a bigger picture in what this king has in store, not just for the people of Israel, but perhaps for the entire world. So you get that, right? One that's lost in the details and one that sees the bigger picture. And I want to show you this painting. It's very famous. Can you tell? Right, It's a very famous painting. In fact, you see it, and I, I won't tell you where else you see it. I'll mention it later. But I remember seeing this painting when I was in third grade, which is a long time ago. It was funny. Someone came up to me after 830, like, I'm in third grade. I'm like, I was in third grade like 25 years ago. <laughs> but as um, I was in third grade, we'd go to the Art Institute of Chicago all the time for different field trips, things like that. And you exit one exhibit, and immediately to your left, there's this painting. It's got to be 15 feet by, by 10 feet or 11 feet high. Big painting, and you are close to it. It's a reproduction, but you're this close to it, and this is what you see. You kind of see a bunch of dots, and you go, hmm, yes. I see what they were going for there with those dots. Hmm. You, you come up with some weird interpretation of what's going on. But then you take a few steps back, and then you go, oh, this is what it's supposed to look like. And this exact, someone pointed this out to me at 8.30, this exact same scene happens in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? This is, the same, this is the same painting from that movie because you're up close, you see all the dots, and you're lost in the dots. You can't quite figure out what it's supposed to mean, but then you take a few steps back. And when you get the bigger picture in view, you can see the purpose behind each individual dot in that painting. Oh, it was meant to make a bigger picture, not just some weird green blob. Or just the tail of a dog. You see how it all starts to add up. It's called, pardon my French, which doesn't exist, A Sunday on the Island of Le Grand Jatte. Or Jatte. Or (laughs) (laughs) J-A-T-T-E. And that's what the name of this painting is. Sorry, I butchered it. But if you take a look at that, it's all comprised, in the style that it's made, it's all individual dots. And I can't imagine how long this took, but each individual dot comprises of this entire painting. So as we get a little bit further into it, you can see how every moment, every day that you live, every year, every, every week, anything else, all experiences are just like little dots on a board, right? Every single day, and sometimes you get the benefit of knowing, like, okay, um, I could see how this is all adding up, and I could see where I'm going with this, but I'll tell you, maybe it's just me, and you could, don't tell me it's just me, it'll make me sad, but uh, oftentimes I don't quite sometimes realize all the things God's doing in my life, and all the little dots, how it's going to end up. Or where it's going. I do my best to be faithful. I do my best to plan ahead. But sometimes all these little experiences, all these little dots that pop up, I don't always see the big picture. Oftentimes, I'm the one that gets lost. And that's where we go to this first point here. Oftentimes, we get lost in the dots. Lost in the struggles, lost in the moments, lost in the things that we're doing in our lives. With our faces too close to the painting, that it all just starts to look like a mess. And when you see just a bunch of dots, like this painting over here, if you go back to that, when all you see is a bunch of dots, you don't really see the purpose behind each individual dot. In fact, you just kind of feel lost. At least I did when I saw this painting. But I also consider those moments of like, you're at grandma's 90th birthday, or you're at a retirement party, or it's a 50th wedding anniversary, or even to the point where it's like a funeral sometimes. They have uh, life sketches. Or like these life portraits where they talk about all these times that we've had together and these moments and these stories that at the time, honestly, you have no idea how it's going to end up. But it's funny when you're kind of at the end of these long journeys, you have this, this wisdom to be able to look back and say, ah, I see what God did there. I see in that moment where that one thing happened, how that led to the next thing, and how it led to the next thing, and how it led me going, me being part of this person's life, and how it affected this one. You kind of see this chain reaction. Sometimes you get that little group of dots, and you see the dog, and you're like, oh, cool. All right, this is making a little bit of sense to me. But like I confess to you, oftentimes I'm in those moments and in those experiences, and it's, I'm not at my 90th birthday yet. And I don't know how things are add up. And maybe someday there will be times in your life where you have no idea why that happened or what good it could have done or how God could have used it until you're finally at that point where you're arm in arm with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, it's great here to be with you. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And you're like, yeah, but what about that one time? What about that one time? We'll talk about that a little bit later. But there are times when you're lost like this and nothing seems to have a point or purpose. And then you look at things in your life and you say, why am I doing this? And the first example I'll have for you, you guys are doing a good job. You're here at church today. But honestly, church can become one of those things, can't it? Am I coming just to fulfill an obligation? You know, I, I, I used to go all the time when, I was, when I, was, I was really feeling the faith, but now I just feel like it's lost its relevance. And Now I go maybe once every six weeks or once every three weeks because I just don't see the point anymore. I'm just kind of going through it. Life, life at church has just become another dot. It seems to have lost its purpose, and I don't really see a point in going. Sometimes it's work, your job. Maybe when you start your job, you're like, Woo, I'm pumped to be here, ready to go, whatever you want. I'll do it. Just assign it to me, and I'll get it done. And then you're three years down the road, or five years down the road, or 15 years down the road, and you're just saying, Why am I even doing this anymore? Am I just doing this for a paycheck at this point? Am I just doing this because I don't know what else to do? You know, I'm here at work, and I've lost my calling that God's put upon my life, my vocation in this position. and I don't know what's going on anymore. It just feels pointless. It just doesn't feel like it has a purpose. It just feels like a couple of dots that are there, and I can't make sense of where it's going. And if it's not work and if it's not um, going to church, sometimes it's family right? I I don't know if I'm at a point in my life where you wake up and you are going until you go to sleep and you're wondering what happened. It's funny, reading Ecclesiastes, when he talks about the days being evil, I'm like, I'm finally starting to get it because I had a lot of plans for today that didn't happen. That the day just feels so short and it's so full of other things. And yet, have you ever felt like people are an inconvenience? That they're no longer a blessing to be around? That my family has now just become a task that I have to accomplish until the end of the day when I go to bed? Or maybe even when I'm supposed to go to bed, they're still awake, or, or beyond that, it's not always the family that we have in our house. Sometimes it's the family outside of our walls. It's our church family. It's the people, our chosen family and friends. All of a sudden, they feel like a task that I have to accomplish rather than a blessing. And then you sit down when you're about to go to bed at home. It's like, man, my whole day just felt like a dot. And I, don't, I can't make sense of how this all happened every single instance, every single day. I wish that I could just find purpose and passion and meaning in something that was going on. And those are just three examples, but there are so many things in life that can just kind of fall into that void for you, right? That just become a bunch of blurry dots on a piece of paper. I don't know how this is adding up. I don't know where this is going. And I become so focused on what I want them to be and what I want to see that I forget and miss that all these things in life are part of a much bigger picture. And what's it like when you're lost in those dots? doesn't it feel consuming? It has for me. I feel consumed by it. I feel just, I'm trying to drive and and derive meaning out of something I can't make any sense of. A lot like this part of the painting. I'm just, I'm too close to it. I'm too much in the moment that, um, there's a phrase I love to say to people, sometimes when you're working too much in the business, you're never working on the business. Meaning I'm so much into it, I can't make sense of what's going on until I can finally take a step back. Because you see what happened to Herod. He was consumed and focused on his rule. Consumed and focused on the things that he wanted to get out of life. So much so that when the Messiah arrived, the Messiah was an inconvenience. And the Messiah was just a threat to his rule. Even though he was there to save all of humanity. Sometimes we get lost in those dots. So much so that we lose sight of the fact there is a bigger picture. And the risk of that is this. Is that we lose focus on the fact there can be a bigger picture, but our Lord, our God, is the God of the big picture. And that brings us to this point over here, right? This bigger and grander picture. And before I get to that over here, it's funny, I find it ironic that we call this a celebration epiphany, right? Have you ever used that word in the English language, epiphany? Right, to have an epiphany. The example I gave earlier off the top of my head, little Johnny uh, was in sixth grade science, and he forgot everything on the day of his final exam, until suddenly, he was sitting there and had an epiphany, and had, which means a sudden realization. He suddenly remembered everything that he had learned throughout that year and was able to do well in the final. Or, I'm up here before you right now, and let's say I'm rambling, and I don't have anything written down. But let's say I'm rambling, and then suddenly, in the middle of my rambling, I have an epiphany, I have an epiphany and I suddenly remember what I wrote and the message I was going to deliver you today. Sometimes that happens in a speech. If you've ever been in a play, sometimes you're really in the moment and then all of a sudden you walk on stage and you're like, what are my lines? Oh my gosh, what are my lines? I can't remember any of my lines. Then you say your first line, you have an epiphany, a sudden realization and remembrance of the things that you had forgotten. And I find it fitting today because oftentimes when we're lost in that mess, lost in all those dots without passion or purpose, we have no idea where it seems like it could go. All of a sudden, right, It's like a star in the sky that catches our eye. We have an epiphany. It's a moment, oh, we have a God that's a God of the bigger picture. Somehow God uses us. Somehow I know God is with me in all things. This is going to be part of a grander portrait in a way that maybe I don't understand. But if I trust that God is walking with me and in fact calls to me and leads me to him, I have that great gift of even a little bit of assurance that when I'm lost in those dots, Maybe someday, standing alongside Jesus, I'll, he'll unfurl to me the bigger picture. And that takes us to our final point, which is this. If you step back, you can start to see how it all comes together. What was really interesting is when Julius Caesar died, there was a supernova, right? This, this cosmic, cataclysmic event that they saw in the sky. So all astrologers and scientists at that time then said, you know what? Whenever a major king or king... Uh, Whenever a major king is born or dies, that must be a sign that there's this major occurrence that something in the world is going to change. So whenever there was something that happened in the sky, they said a major king who's going to change the world must be coming or is born or has just died. So you see these magi and they see this star that's in the sky. In their mind, they're going, that's a major astrological occurrence. Something is happening over there, something big that's going to change the foundation of the world. And they felt called to follow it and called to find that star. If you go next slide for me, right? They saw it as a sense of getting the bigger picture. And when we get to take a step back, sometimes in those moments where in our lives where we're lost in Waldo and in the dots and can't seem to find what we thought we were looking for, taking a step back, studying scripture, that same star that that the Magi followed is right there in Scripture, leading you to Christ, reminding you that this portrait, right? It's not just what God had planned for you. What God had planned for you was to be with Him, to walk alongside Him, to know that He's alongside you always, just to have that moment, right? Not to be lost in the dots, but to see a bigger picture, no matter how things in your life seem to change. When I was in, to tell you a little bit about my background, we were in Twin Falls. We moved there, and I helped start, the whole reason was to start a new church Help launch a new church. They were there for two years, and then I applied for seminary. And the typical way seminary works is you go there for two years of residential, meaning you live on campus and you take classes. Then you go away for a year for something called vicarage. And as you go for a year on vicarage, you're in a church and you're learning the ropes. right? So you stay there for a year learning the ropes, and you go back for another year of classes. Then you get your first call and you go and serve a church. The way my program worked, since I was helping to launch a new church, I took what was called a four-year vicarage, which sounds as long as it is. <laughs> and how it felt. Because when you're there, you're taking classes online, like before it was cool, and you have a professor that you see on camera, and they see you on camera. You take synchronous online learning. In the summer, you go over to Irvine, and you're there with all the professors for an intensive. You go back, and you're working in the church. At the same time, you're a full-time student taking classes. And when, you're, when you say, I'm a four-year vicar in front of people, I mean, how many people went, oh, yeah, a vicar. Of course I know what that means. Most people don't. I didn't until I was one. Uh, but when you become a vicar, you're kind of like this pastor in training. But when you're there for four years, you more so become pastor junior than than pastor in training. So you're, you're, you get a lot of the phone calls. You get a lot of the late night meetings. You get a lot of the hospital calls. And in particular, one week, um, you, you get this training. But as you go along, you know, like Jonathan does, he, he's taught me a lot of this. You get kind of endurance for it, because you're helping people see the big picture, and it's a great gift to be there in a ministry of presence, but you kind of gain a bit of endurance for it. Being a pastor junior, so to speak, I did not quite have the emotional capacity yet, so I was having a hard week where it was call after call, big things were happening. I'm late night at the hospital, I'm there in class the next day, we have big things going on at church, and I go to this coffee shop called Twin Bean, and I'm run down. Pastorally, I could say it's been a rough week, and I'm there, and the owner, Paul, he and I were great friends. He comes up to me. He's like, Chris, you're kind of looking a bit down. What's going on? And we had had Lily not, not just a couple months ago, so a new dad as well. And I looked at him, and I said, Paul, is the world just getting that much worse so much quicker? Or am I just getting older, and I'm starting to notice it more? And in his infinite wisdom, he said this, yes. <laughs> he's like, It's both. But let me tell you this, and let me remind you of this. Remember, it's all leading to some point. It's all leading to somewhere, and it's this, Jesus Christ. And I, was the, you know, I was a pastor junior at that time, and I was the one that was supposed to be saying that. But man, sometimes you need to hear that message, that sometimes in the midst of it all, when everything seems like a mess and everything's a bunch of dots, that everything leads to a grander picture, a grander portrait that is, in fact, Jesus Christ for you. And for your salvation. And I needed to hear that because I was at a time where I, I don't know what to do. How do you raise a child in this world? How do, how do you, what's the world going to look like five years from now, 10 years from now? Who am I supposed to trust? Where am I supposed to go? And you hear this story again from Matthew chapter 2. Because as things continue to change, rather than being lost in the change, realize that the change is going somewhere. That all things are leading to Christ. And I'm not saying this to defend ungodly practices or unholy things. And I'm not telling you not to fight the good fight. You should fight the good fight. And and you shouldn't accept things that are contrary to our Christian beliefs. Of course not. You shouldn't do that. I am telling you that all changes in all the world, as as time continues to progress, it's all leading to Christ. And when that change is happening, you kind of have two approaches to it. Number one is you can approach it like the Grinch. Like in How the Grinch Stole Christmas, a very wise theologian that is Dr. Seuss. Right? So the Grinch, uh, he's like, I hate Christmas. I'm going to stop Christmas from coming. So he takes all the packages. He takes all the ribbons. He takes all the bags. He takes all the ornaments. He takes all the trees. He puts them in the sleigh and goes to the top of Mount Crumpet. Right? And as he's about in that iconic scene where it's teetering, if you've watched the Boris Karloff movie, right? And it's teetering there, and he's going to throw it all down the mountain. What happens? He hears the who's. Down in Whoville, singing their little Who songs. And he has this realization: even though I took all the presents and the back the packages, the trees, things like that, I couldn't stop Christmas from coming. And this is where it was it'd be cool if it was like a choose your own adventure book, because there's like two options. Like, what if he his heart didn't go three sizes that day? What happens when you refuse to accept that Christmas came, when you refuse to accept the change? Because that option is what leads you to the option that Herod took. When Herod tried to stop Christmas from coming, he ends up dying in 1 B.C., killing family members along the way because of his intense paranoia for his throne as a supposed king of the Jews. And the second option is what the Grinch took. His heart grew three sizes that day. But the idea is actually realizing that Christmas already came. That when Christmas came, there was change that was already put upon us. And that change is in the form of an infant that came, filled with all of God's goodness for our sake in Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, light of light, light of light, very God of very God. And what's amazing about that in, in this time of epiphany, right? It wasn't just something that were for the Jews that were there, this light that led Gentiles to Himself. It was not a gift just for the people of Israel, but a gift. For the entire world. We met, uh, Pastor Dinger mentioned this earlier. It's something that strikes me the most about the story. It's this. When you have a star, right? The Magi follow this star. It's not like the star was there and they're like, oh, you know, we should check out what that is. Maybe there's part of that inside of themselves, sure. But I see that star calling out to them in such a major astrological occurrence that says, follow me. Because we have a God that's a God of the big picture that you don't have to go out and look for. Our God comes and finds you and says, follow me. And time and time again, we hear it from Jesus, right? Follow me, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Follow me. So as we close, let me invite you. In those times where, honestly, and at the beginning of the year, it can seem the messiest. Where there are just so many dots out there, sometimes we feel lost in the details. Or even lost, like Herod was, and just focusing on a lot of the wrong things. And lost in ourselves. There's a time where we feel called to take a step back. Because God has a bigger picture in store. Not just for all of humanity, which he did. But for you individually. God has a bigger picture in store for you as well. And you may not see it in these moments. In these times when all the dots are messy. You may see it five years from now, ten years from now. That 90th birthday party you'll hit. In that life sketch, in that life portrait. Or it may just be in that time with Christ. And Christ tells you, well done, as I said before, good and faithful servant. Maybe an infurling of the painting, or maybe I won't even care at that point. I'll be glad that that grander portrait is of me and Christ alongside me. You know, when we get this section from Paul in Romans 8, can you go back to that verse for me? Back one slide, I think. There we are, Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, he says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Again, that first part is used a lot, but I really treasure and love that second part of the verse, who have been called according to his purpose. I find a lot of assurance that God has a purpose, not just for me, but for every single dot that comes into my life. Every single moment that I'm unsure of, to know that God's alongside me, and I'm called according to his purpose, and someday that's going to come out to be some sort of portrait, whether it's In my painting, or it's a way that he's painted through me for the sake of somebody else. So whether it's revealed to here, to us in this lifetime, or now, know that all things are worked for his good, for those called according to his purpose. And that purpose being that Christ was indeed for you, and still is for you in every single dot, in every single detail, in every single moment. To him be that glory, now and forever. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.